Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about bootstrapping new stuff. <laughs> Sounds like new shoes. I know. Well, you know, I love myself a pair of new shoes. So Of course. I'm a, I'm a shoe hound myself. Uh, cool. So we're going to talk about uh, various different kinds of new offerings. So either either you've got some new product or service that you want to add to your existing product ladder or you're starting from scratch maybe uh, you're brand new and you're thinking about adding that first thing to your offering list and what to do to get it off the ground yeah wait what i just realized we should add what about pivoting we had a lot of people who are doing pivoting where you want to start to offer something new sure yeah yeah yeah. so in fact that's probably even the best example because your confidence is probably going to be a bit lower. So if you've been in business for a while and you've been doing a certain kind of business and then you're going to pivot, you might have a lot of uncertainty around what is the market interested in? What problems can you really solve? Are you even going to be good at it? How can you prove Mm -hmm. to yourself that it's a good idea and that it will work and deliver results? So really what we're talking about is when you're, you're, for whatever reason, you're thinking about creating something new and bringing it to the world and saying, hey, here I made this. Would you like to buy it? And there's a lot of uncertainty in potentially in you, but also in the market, uh, mm-hmm. probably more so in the market. So what do you do to kind of solve that chicken or egg problem? You know, how do you get your first customers, your first clients, or even the feedback that you need to to create the thing in the right way? You know, so, um, yeah, so we were, did, did I think I think I covered everything. Yeah, because I think, you know, there's a lot of people who are doing a lot of authority building, right? We're, we're writing articles or blog posts, we're podcasting, we're doing videos. And it's important to find a way to transition from that into actually making money (laughs) from those things. Yeah, you got to fund that mission. Got to do it. So for me, the people I work with, you're the, the, categories of new thing kind of break into three really common ones and and they all i have a little i guess i have a little bit of a different tactic for each one they're similar but they kind of they kind of they are a little bit different and the the levels that i usually work with are kind of at the lower end of the product ladder some kind of a course or an info product uh it's usually a course it's usually when someone's Mm -hmm. thinking about putting in the time to create you know, maybe an hour, two, three, even four hours of videos for a course. And they need to, and they're, they're nervous. They want to hedge their bets and not put in like tons of time and then launch to crickets. So mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Uh, and then there are productized services. If you're going to launch a new productized service, how do you get, you know, your first customers? How do you know how much to charge? How do you kick the tires and, and sort of sand off the rough edges so that it's, so that it feels professional and it's effective and it delivers good results and it doesn't take you a ton of time and it feels profitable to everybody. And then of course, for my folks, you know, get these big sprawling custom projects where people are building custom software. It could take some people email me and they'll say like, Oh yeah, I, you know, I have my project like a month long. And to me, that's not, that's not like a project from my world. That's more like a feature or something that you're building. Um, mm-hmm. So projects for me are more like six month to a year long, you know, sort of design, build, deploy, uh, kind of a thing. So that's, so that is, if that, if that's new to you, you might be really uncomfortable with that. If that's your bread and butter, it might not be a problem, but, but all three of those different levels, the info products, the productized services and custom projects, uh, I, I have different approaches that I use. And I'm sure Rochelle does too, of how I would get the confidence 
to do it in a way that you're proud of and also is going to be useful to the market and recognized by the market as something that's worth the price. Okay. Yeah, and especially on the last one, um, a lot of my clients are high-end B2B types that are doing, you know, 18 months is not unusual for yeah. a project. And some of them will have a really long-term relationships, especially where they're doing some kind of a, like a coaching service or some kind of a team development kind of thing where they move from team to team to team. So you could have really long relationships there. Mm-hmm. And getting your foot in the door is the hardest part. Right. Yeah. And that's even that's even a fourth category that we could talk about. Like I see that as a, sort of an advisor retainer or month to month coaching or some something like that, where it's kind of open ended and there's not if there isn't a specific um, end, you know, and it's just kind of like an ongoing thing where you cycle through different people or different teams and you're just sort of there to improve productivity or morale or um help make strategic decisions as things come up. Uh, the, that kind of falls into my advisory category space, which it, to me is it's a subset of a productized service, but it's so specific that I treat it differently. But anyway, so let's at least focus on these three, I think, most basic ones. So uh, should we start with courses maybe? Yeah, well, let's work our way up the complexity ladder. Right. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I agree. This is the easiest one. Do you have any, you know, you've got, you've had some courses, like, do you have a kind of a, some kind of testing ground or do you have a process that you use when you're putting something together or thinking about testing an idea? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's really simple. It's reach out to the people on my list that I think this might fit for, because generally speaking, I'm not like sitting with a blank sheet of paper, dreaming something up for this. It's usually that I start to hear things. So I'll start to hear something on one day, and then maybe I'll hear it again that week or twice the next week, and then three times the week after that. So I have like this radar, like my ears are tuned to all that. And so I just keep notes about those things. And usually there's a point where I'll go, huh, you know, there might be something here. And so my process is to go to those people and say, I'll, I'll put something together, like really rough around the edges and say, this is what I'm thinking. Do you have a little time to talk to me about it? Yeah. Now, what I haven't done that I've recommended to clients is you can also pull a small group of people together on a call, which is can be really interesting, like doing a mini focus group with, say, six to 10 tops, eight is probably ideal, mm-hmm. um, and pull them together and get that same feedback. But so I'll, I'll ask for feedback on things like, you know, how do we want to deliver this? Like, what's the best way to do it? Uh, do you need access to me or not to me? You know, I just want to hear what they're thinking. And then, of course, I'm going to ask them for the price point. Yeah. So I do a very similar thing. Um, I've got that same radar going. It's like, I'm always like, when I notice someone struggling with something and like, and then I notice somebody else struggling with the same thing, mm-hmm. like, huh, I wonder if there's something there, you know? So I've kind of got uh, maybe half a dozen to a dozen of these ideas for courses in the sort of, you know, in this little notebook and, or like text file on my doc, on my desktop. And it's like, huh, you know, I could do it. I could do any of these. I, I, you know, I teach it other, you know, directly to people in private coaching why not like create a video version and uh make that available to people at a much lower price point but it's basically the same thing that you do i'm not dreaming stuff up like boy it sure would be cool if the universe had this in it now right it's it's always from some kind of something i observed and then i'll do similar to you uh i don't 
think I've ever, I've had some group chats, but never on the phone. I, I've, you know, I'm fortunate in that I've got these different Slack rooms where there are lots of folks who uh, are kind of drunk the Ditcherville Kool-Aid, you know, they're like, mm-hmm. they're like they get it. Um, mostly soloists and, and some small firms, mostly software developers, but a mix of other people too. So they all kind of get it. And and they're all very much in the target market, the people I want to help. So then I can just say, hey, everybody, I'm thinking about putting together, a, a, I don't know, a video course on daily writing. You know, would anybody mm-hmm. be into that at all? And if everyone, if if I hear crickets, then great. I wasted um, 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because you know, if I don't get people in, th- in those slacks, if I don't get anybody in those slacks that's like, oh, that would be amazing. If I don't even get one person that's like, that would be amazing then Mm-mm. there's no it's not going to fly yeah but if i do then i'd say well what it, what does it mean like what i just said like what does it mean to you almost like i would say it's almost like saying i'm um, thinking about writing a book here's the title what do you think the book is about you know it's like here's the here would be the title of the course or something like that it'd be like and they'd be like well i would you know and they have instant expectations and i could see if they map to or match up with the stuff that i would probably the way I would probably set it up, like how long would it be? Should it be super long? Should it be super short? Should it be mm-hmm. utilitarian? Should it be all encompassing? Do you imagine that there would be like worksheets or is it more like a, a mindset shift that you'd get from watching the videos? Uh, would there be supplementary, supplementary um, uh, tools or recommendations? You know, like what all could, could be in it? And you can kind of uh, bat that around with four or five people in a Slack room and come up with something pretty quickly that everybody's kind of nodding their heads about like, yeah, that would be cool. And then mm-hmm. I would be like, you know, does that, would you pay 245 bucks for that? And you'll immediately people will be like, oh, totally. Or no way. Or, right, you know, and so you're like, okay. They always react to price. Right. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I never ask how much would you pay for it? Because people are atrocious at pulling a number out of a hat like that. Oh, yeah. But, you got to give them a set point. Yeah, you give them a point. And I'm not trying to anchor. I'm trying, you know, I'd say the number I'd like to charge. And and if everybody says, oh, yeah, that's that totally be worth it. Then I'm like, great, that's good enough for me. And, you know, sometimes people say one thing and do another thing when it comes to purchasing. But that's okay. Like as long as it, as long right. as the, the price is supported by the story or the understanding of what the thing is and what you could expect to gain from from spending the money, that's close enough for me because then I can take that to a broader audience and odds are pretty good that it's worth, it's at least worth me putting in, you know, a day to record the videos and edit them and put them somewhere and then, you know, do all the sales and, you know, the sales page and all that stuff. Uh, but it doesn't, you know, so it's not, it's not a very high risk proposition because you're not, you know, assuming you're not putting together 80 videos, like a comprehensive, you know, like TPS was, T- TPS took me a long time. Mm-hmm. But uh, assuming you're doing like a few hours of video and it's stuff that you're already really good at and you're used to teaching, it doesn't have to take that long to put together. And uh, yeah, that's how, that's how I usually do it. Mm. So I had a student recently do something pretty cool that's along these lines, but I think it was even more accelerated uh, where... We were talking about, you know, he's like, a, he had an idea for a course and his, he had a really, really, really technical niche and we didn't have a lot of people in the Slack room to ask about it. So I said, why don't you, and he knew, he knew the information cold. He already had slide decks from presentations he'd given before at like meetups and, you know, the, that sort of thing. So I was like, why don't you schedule a, go into Crowdcast and you can schedule a multi-day event and just schedule five days, you know, Monday through Friday at lunchtime. And just give a free webinar where you teach 
the five lessons. And if nobody shows up, then, you know, you wasted five hours or, you know, or, or maybe you learned something that, you know, like nobody wants this, or I don't have access to the people who might want this. So he just, mm-hmm. he did that and he had, you know, like, I think it was like a half a dozen people, maybe, maybe 10 people registered and half of them showed up mm-hmm. uh, for most of the days. He recorded the whole thing. He took Q and A. And then when he was done, he downloaded the videos, edited them a little bit, put some bumpers on the front and back and boom, there's your course. And, you know, the, he even left the Q and A in because uh, it's, you know, because a lot of people who watch the videos in the future are probably going to have similar questions. It might be yeah. pieces that he went too quickly, where he taught too quickly, or maybe he knew it so well that he sort of had the curse of knowledge and forgot that people didn't weren't super familiar with maybe this arcane thing. Mm-hmm. So it brings out, it, it creates this sort of interactive feel. Uh, and probably anybody, you know, or at least a significant portion of people who watch the videos are going to have the same questions. And he was like, yeah, that's cool. Let's just ship it. You know, is it perfect? No, but. I'd know. love that. Yeah, it's cool, and, right? And can you say how he priced it? I. It's okay if you. I don't rem- I would, just but curious. I don't remember. Ah, I don't gotcha. remember. But I, I mean, usually, that's a great idea of just being able to create this self-contained piece and get over our own insecurities about perfection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could say, you know, for the dear listener, I would generally, and this is just a thumbnail, like uh, a rule of thumb, sorry, not a thumbnail. Uh, I would generally price, depending on the audience, I would generally price a paid video course, self-paced video course, somewhere between like... $85 and like 495 And I know there are, there are outliers that are way less or free or, um, you know, ones that are more like two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000. And I totally get that. But, but in usually when I'm working with someone, the product ladder needs something that's around 100 to $500. There's usually a mm, dead spot yeah. there. Yeah. So we, we usually come in around $245 uh, for, yeah. a, for a course. And then it's kind of like, all right, if you're going to get 245 for this, then you can reverse engineer how many videos you want to make. You know, how comprehensive is this going to be? And, you know, get really dialed in on who the ideal buyer is. And, you know, would the ideal buyer pay 245 bucks to hear you teach them about this subject? And, uh, and you, you know, as a starting point, that's usually where I would, that's usually where I would land. Yeah. And to your point, it is a dead zone. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, it's probably worth pointing out that, uh, just like a minute on product ladders, like I, when I'm starting with someone from scratch and they, all they do is like custom projects, like that's all they do. And they really kind of new to the product ladder idea. I usually write down, you know, like 10 X at each rung. So if, if your lowest tier product is going to be 50 bucks, then the next tier up will be 500 and the next tier up will be 5,000 and the next tier up will be 50,000 and above. So the 50,000 and above is like your, your custom projects. 5,000 is probably some kind of a roadmap or a workshop or a strategy engagement. 500 could be a coaching call, a strategy call, a kind of one-off consultation, and 50 could be some kind of info product. Um, but if, you're, if your numbers are, if those numbers seem skewed high for you or your market, then it could be 20, 200, 2,000, yeah. 20,000. Yeah, but it's roughly 10x, and I want to fill in at each one of those points. So if I had a point mm-hmm. on the ladder that was like, you know, I've got an ebook or something that's 25, at 250, I'm probably not going to want to do a phone call. So I Mm-mm. would, but it'd be great for a, a video course. So, or, or any other kind of course, but if, you know, it could be a paid email course, it could be an audio course, or it could be a video course. But um, that's, 
you know, if people are looking for guidelines for pricing stuff, I, that's how I see the product ladder. And then how do you slot something in that is no touch sales, no touch delivery, like a course. Yeah. So, so this first idea, we're talking about this course. So let's, let's kind of um, summarize what we've said about this idea. So this is something where you can put this, I think of this as a product in a box, right? You can draw some lines around it. Um, you want to test it with your ideal audience. You want to find a price point that makes sense in your overall product ladder. I love your, um, your 10x idea. I think that's a good rough guideline for people to think about this. Um, and then do we want to say anything about presenting it to the, to your audience? So it's done and you're going to, you're going to launch it. What about that? Sure. So, uh, especially with info products, that are, are meant for scale, you know, they're meant because they don't, mm -hmm. you don't have to deliver them. They're just, they're just sell, sell while you sleep and they're delivered while you sleep. Best part, by the way, yes. best part. <laughs> very fun to wake up to. Um, it's, I, I try and go for kind of a uh, grassroots groundswell kind of thing. So with, um, with it, you know, f for example, if I consulted with some people about how to design the course or what things would be valuable to them or, or not, maybe I give it to them for free in exchange for, you know, if they like it, that they would supply testimonials and share it on social media, share it with their networks. And if you if you had like six or, you know, eight people in that initial um, group, that inner circle, you obviously trust them already. And they probably trust you in return. And they'll probably do that for you and, and kind of amplify um, amplify the signal. So mm -hmm. I, would, I would tweet about it. I'd put obviously I put on my website. I tweet about it. Uh, I would ask them to share it if they could. I'd probably go to other communities. I'm in other communities with creators. Uh, to, you know, say, hey, if this sounds good to you, I'd love if you'd share it. Um, I've done things in the past where, and obviously my mailing list, but I feel like that's cheating. If if people if people don't have a mailing list, they'll kind of they'll say, oh well, that won't work for me. But uh, one thing I did do, if you do have a mailing list, that really worked out great. Uh, when I launched Hourly Billing is Nuts in 2016, I only had about 500 people on the list, roughly, and I had, uh, and it was the first, I think it was the first info product I ever self-published, because I had books before, but those were through publishers. Pretty sure it was the mm. first first thing I had done on my own that was uh, an info product. So I, I sent out to my little list of 500 people, I said, uh, I just publish this book. It's an ebook. You can get it from my site. And there, and, and there are three coupons. There's a hundred percent off coupon of like evangelists. And you can, you can use that to get the book for free, but I'm going to hound you relentlessly for <laughs> you have to read it. You have to tell me if there are any typos and you have to share it like crazy on social media. And then there's like a 50% off thing where I had like fewer, you know, like like fewer um, requests. And then there was like a 20% off one that was just for like the sale. You know, it's like, oh, it's a launch sale. You know, I'm not going to bug you. You just you get 20% right. off. And loads of people, loads of people just took the 20% coupon and uh, a, a small but um, extremely helpful group of people took the totally free ones. Isn't, isn't it funny? Like yeah. a bunch of people paid for it when they didn't have to because they didn't want to say any typos. Yeah. They don't want the emotional commitment to you. Exactly. Yeah, I but totally the, get that. Yeah, but the evangelist coupon, though, like like one person sent me back a spreadsheet with page numbers with every single <laughs> typo and grammar error. It was awesome. 
was like, <laughs> gotta love that. Yeah, yeah. So for like a free forty nine dollar PDF, I basically got like an editor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it was great. Uh, and then those folks shared it like crazy. Um, mm-hmm. So that and and what's funny is when you do a launch like that, even it's it seems like. A paradox, but doing a launch like that actually grows your list quite a bit. I hit a big spike in subscribers around the launch. It doesn't make it feels like it should be the other way around. Like you should have a big list. No, and the launch will be successful. The la- even when you have a big list and you do a launch, your list will get bigger. Yeah, it's yeah it's something it, it, about that's how it works. Yeah, it's like oh, a new thing, and there's like some excitement around it, and mm-hmm. word spreads a little easier for some. I mean. For that reason, I guess, not some reason. Yeah. Well, the other thing that was genius about what you did there is if if somebody is going to actually look for typos and they know that you want that and they're going to send it to you, they've engaged with your book. And what's interesting is they found errors in your book, but they engaged with it. I mean, this is why we need to get over this idea of perfectionism. Because people engage for different reasons. I I think it's that's a great template. Yeah. For especially for a first offering, yeah, it was uh, it was great. I, I I I don't think I've done it since, but uh, I would do it again. And certainly that first time when my confidence was, I didn't have a lot of input from people. I didn't know the audience as well. It just it wasn't as many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like feeling maybe a little bit more. I don't know. It just it just worked out great. It worked out great. You uh, also had a good title. I mean, yeah. hourly billing is nuts is clearly polarizing. Yes. And yeah, it makes you want to read it or throw it away, you know, <laughs> one or the other. And so, you know, you, you choose which camp you're in. Mm-hmm. And that, by the way, since we're talking about it, that title was one of, I think, two or three possible titles. And I took it to one of my Slack rooms and they, everybody was like, hourly billing is nuts is the title. That is the title. Mm-hmm. And I don't even remember the other ones, so <laughs> I guess that was going to be my next question. Right, yeah, because right. that's how it works when you find when you find the right one, everything mm-hmm. else just falls away. Yep. So uh, yeah, and just just like bootstrapping into that first thing or something new for you, even if it's not your very first thing, uh, there's lots of feedback, and and I think you're going to see that same pattern with the, throughout this entire episode, and it's just. It's not it, one thing I'd like to I, I like to call out when I'm talking about you know using your radar to detect these ideas and and getting feedback from people and bouncing ideas off them. They're not designing the product and they're and they're, and I'm not out there getting data in any in any like statistically meaningful mm-hmm. way. I'm not looking yeah. for data to prove to me that it's going to work. Some people when when I talk about market research, some people are like you know how much do I need? You know, like I feel like I need to talk to 500 people to get something statistically significant. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm not gathering data in that way. What I'm doing is looking for an open. It's more like looking for an opening. I'm like looking. It's almost like this. The the wall of the market is like this castle wall, and I'm just asking people, where's a doorway in? And so it's not a question of like amassing enough data to know that the thing's going to sell or be successful. It's it's you're getting feedback about what's the Where's the secret door? Yeah, because if you're waiting, it's if you think this is a numbers game, you will never launch. You'll never launch, right? Yeah, because it, you've you got to get... prove it to me, and it's not it's not going to happen. You're never going to have that kind of proof. You've got to be able to go with qualitative proof in this qualitative. case. Qualitative, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So if I hear like, um, I think I don't know if we talked about it on this show last week, but if I hear 
if I get like th three sales, if I if I put something new on the site, this is related. It's it's a little bit higher level though. If I put something on the website at a price, and I get no sales, I don't. It doesn't really tell me a lot. But if I get like if I get like three sales in two weeks, I'm like my price is too low because I'm, I'm not even promoting the thing, and people are like throwing money at it. Like mm -hmm. you know what I mean. So there's so you know. You could think like, well, you know, there were 10,000 people that saw this offer on your website and only three bought it. That's a terrible conversion rate. I'm like, I don't care. Like, that's not what I care about. I'm not looking. I'm not, I'm not like trying to do a statistics thing. I'm just like, it proves to me that, that I have access to people who, who get this value proposition or it resonates with them. And they're like, oh, I'm like, okay, that, that worked. You know, it's not a, it's not a conversion rate thing. It's more like a frequency of purchase type of thing. Well, there's a door that's opened or, right. or it's, it, if it's, you know, the magic door, it's lifted up enough so that you can like scurry underneath <laughs> it. Right. right. It's not fully open. Cause that's yeah. the thing. I think that everybody, I mean, you know, myself included, we, we love the feel of a, of an instant home run. You know, to hear ding, 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 ding. Wow, look at all these people. They love this. I've hit the mark. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work that way usually. 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 Sometimes it does. And that's awesome. And But what we want to do is we want to get a base hit the first time out. Totally. And, that's a great yeah. way to say it. Yeah. I just want to get on base. Yeah. And with that, with that three... You know, it would be easy to get discouraged with three, but to me, with three, you can start asking questions because in the in the case you d described, you didn't send out an announcement; you just slapped it up on your website, right? And said, "Well, oh, let's see what what this is." It's it's a little bit like what I did with my um, my one hour session back in twenty ten or twenty eleven, whenever it was. I put it up there just to see if anybody would buy it. It's, I mean, it's a fascinating exercise to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it is funny. It's I feel like it's a bit of a tangent. Maybe we could talk about it on another show. But nobody buying it, if nobody buys it for a year, that tells me something. But if nobody buys it at launch, that doesn't tell me anything. If one person right. buys it, it tells me a lot. If three people buy it, I'm like, okay, this this is this works. Mm -hmm. Like I did something right. So yeah, those two, like zero to one, is huge. And then and then I'm like, but then it could be a fluke. But if you get two and then three, and it's like, okay, this definitely works. This yeah. is a thing. Yeah. Well, okay. and, and it also gives you data on, on price. And sometimes it gives you data on the way that you're delivering something, especially a course. It mm -hmm. might be that the, the mode of delivery isn't the right one for your audience in that message. And you learn yeah. all of that in, in that front end piece. Yeah, they'll let you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. You think? Yeah. <laughs> Could I get this as a podcast too? So, um, okay. So that was, that was a whole, that was more than I thought we were going to have for, for courses or info products, but that sort of lower rung product service ladder item, that's probably somewhere between, you know, a hundred and 500 bucks roughly. Uh, it just, it's just lots of conversation with people who you, who get it. You don't want to mm -hmm. ask your nine-year-old kid, they, they're not going to get it. You want to ask people who get it, who are probably in your target market and get some feedback and help them kind of help you pick the things that you uh, kind of whittle down your features let's say like you know what you want it to be kind of and then you you just, yeah. just kind of helping you f f you know sand off the rough edges yeah exactly all right so moving on up the up the climbing up the product ladder to the <laughs> probably the five thousand dollar ish range 
Um, lots of people I work with sell productized services, which can look like a roadmap or a migration plan, or you know, for the marketing people I work with, some kind of um, I don't know uh, strategy workshop, positioning yeah. workshop, yeah, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And those, the thing about productized services, the the non-recurring ones, you know, because they're recurring ones. But let's not even talk about that because it's just to say, focus the 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 one-off productized services by definition, or at least my definition of a productized service is that it's a fixed scope service that you offer at a published price on your website. Mm -hmm. So you're not writing proposals, you're not value pricing them, you're just picking a price and you're like, yeah, I'd I'd be happy to do this for for anybody. And, you know, anybody in my target market at this price, because Mm -hmm. the scope, the nature of it prevents like widely varying scopes. There's very few unknowns, right? So yeah. You design it and you present it like a product, like a, a jar of vitamins. It's got a label, it's got benefits, it's got a price tag. And if people are really interested, they'll turn around the back and look at the ingredients and the fine print. And you can have all of that stuff on your sales page and people come along and they buy them. Okay, so how would you bootstrap one of these from zero? Let's say you're, you're pivoting into a new kind of space or you're pivoting into a new target market or you're brand new and you wanna, uh, you're thinking about you know, you just made the leap, you just went solo and you want to add some something to your product ladder besides just, you know, random freelancing. Yeah, I mean, I, one of the things I always look at is what's the strategic nature of this service and how does it fit into your overall business? Um, you know, because what we're talking about big picture is your business and revenue model. Smaller picture is this is a product service ladder. So how is this productized service going to contribute to the rest of your business? And let me just give you an example. So there's a a, a financial advisor who has a front end assessment that's around that $5,000 mark. And it's very clearly a productized service. Something like 90% of the people who go through that are going to elect the, the higher option after that, which is a retainer relationship. So... There's there are all sorts of reasons why they might not charge um, ten thousand dollars to do that because they want more people to go through it because as they see it they're going to want the other part of the business so you really want to look at not just that that service in a box by itself but how does it interact with the other things in your ladder? Yep. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it, it's the ladder metaphor is is chosen on purpose like they should lead each rung leads to the next one it's not just a random thing that that wouldn't you know like my five thousand dollar level is um i don't know pricing strategy and my fifty thousand dollar level is uh i'll help you start a knitting store you know it it doesn't relate you know you'd want you want your ladder to be a progression of wins for one person you know like one per a particular person you know if they benefited from rung number one then, you know, maybe immediately or maybe in two years, they're going to be ready to move up to rung number two or and then rung number yes. three, maybe a year or two later or maybe immediately. But you want them to like naturally lead into to the, the next one. Otherwise, you're talking about two different ladders and like one of them doesn't reach the ground. No, one ladder. Please do not even introduce the idea of two ladders. <laughs> yeah, if you're a soloist, it's really hard to maintain more than one ladder. It's not impossible, but it's to me, it usually means like someone just didn't make a decision yet that they need to make. Um, okay, so so the the issue here when you're creating a new productized service is uh, they're actually, in my experience, they're actually less work to to build than a course. 
Oh, because, yeah. Yeah, because it's really all about the work that I usually have people do when they create a new productized service. And we do this in TPS. We go through the whole thing in a week where you, you've got your idea, wherever it came from. You know, for probably for you and I, it would come from the same thing. Our radar detected that there's some need, mm-hmm. or the people that bought that course or that that lower rung are asking for something. So, okay, how could I give them a little bit more assistance in a productized service kind of fashion? And you know, you're going to price it around X. You want to price it around. Let's just keep using five thousand as the example. What scope could you fit into that budget to deliver to them? And the steps that we go through are kind of like a positioning exercise. Who is this for? What is the promise? What's your guarantee? Like, what should they expect as the outcome? And, you know, who is it for and what is it for? And uh, and then it's like, write down the timeline of everything that would happen, everything that would need to happen from the moment they pay till it's done, delivered, and you follow up with them and ask for a testimonial later. So just give me a timeline of, you know, everything that needs to be done and who needs to do it. Because sometimes the client yes. has to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, anything, you know, for, for software people, a lot of times it looks like a kickoff of some kind. There's a meeting with the highest level stakeholders, maybe some lower level stakeholders. Um, there's oftentimes some sort of transfer of login credentials or some, you know, if they have to review a code base, there might be some access requirements. Uh, then there's going to be, you know, developer reviews the code. There's maybe a couple of follow-up meetings with department heads or that all touch the code base or have needs, blah, blah, blah. And so this, this timeline, it's just meant for you so that you can really understand what the thing is. You can really think through what the scope actually is. Usually after people do one of these timelines, it's like, wow, that's way more than I was thinking when I picked $5,000 as the price. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to draw in a lot of times we'll, we'll go back and forth and be like, well, do you really think you need to deliver this, you know, go to their site and deliver it in person? Or could you just, you know, record up you going through a PowerPoint and deliver that as your report? Like what pieces can we cut out of this that we're going to guess are probably lower value, but really a lot of labor. Yeah. So we cut the scope until it feels comfortable inside the price point or we change the price point. But, you know, we're trying to fill this five thousand dollar slot. And then once we've got once we got kind of have our our arms around what the scope actually is and what the procedure will be, they start to feel a lot more confident about it. They're like, yeah, I can do every every you know, I look at any one of these steps and I, it's a total slam dunk. So now that I've got the, the student, now that they've got this like map of what would need to take place, it feels very thought out and it feels very real and tangible. So their confidence tends to go up and then it's like, okay, now let's draft a sales page for it. And we go through our normal sales page exercise, which we've probably talked about in the past on the show. And then beta customers. So Mm -hmm. it's like find three people who you can take through this thing pro bono, not for free, but in exchange for feedback about the delivery, what could be improved or removed from the delivery. Um, how well it met their expectations based on the sales page and the marketing materials that they read. Mm-hmm. Like did it, is it what you expected? And if not, what should we change to make sure that it is what the next person would expect? And pricing guidance. So I would, I would, uh, when I have those people go through it, when they do betas, I don't put a price on the sales page. It's that's that's one piece that's missing off the sales page. They get some beta users, they bring them in, they take them through it, and then at the end, once once all of the the marketing and delivery stuff has been, um, all that information has been gathered, then I would say, listen, I'm planning on, on, you know, now that you know what it's like to go through it and what the results are, I'm planning to spend, I'm planning to, to price this at $5,000. Would you recommend it to someone else at, at that price? 
mm. and they'll they'll have the three possible reactions sticker shock like you've got to be crazy or yes take my money it's a no-brainer or somewhere in the middle where they say yeah that's about right mm-hmm. and based on that reaction you can adjust the price if you if you believe that uh, they've got a point then you can adjust the price and then go back and adjust the scope. You could say, well, if I can only, you know, if you would have paid 7,500 bucks for that, great. Uh, if, but if you only would have paid 2,500 for it, what things could I cut from the scope that you didn't really care about that, um, that would then allow me to do this profitably at that price? And, you know, you're just brainstorming with them. Uh, and then if they indicate that they're really happy with it, it went really well, and you say, hey, you know, I'd love it if I could get a testimonial. Thanks for the kind words. Could I put that on the website kind of thing? And they'll almost always say yes. I don't think I've ever heard someone say no. You know, they the expectation is set that they're a beta customer and that this yeah. is part of the part of the trade-off. And so there you go. You've you've now run three customers through it. You've got a sales page with pricing that's been vetted by people who've gone through it. Uh, you can ask them for referrals. After, hey, the testimonial is up. It looks great. Tell me if you need me to change anything. And oh, by the way, can you think of two people who might benefit from this that you could introduce me to? Yep. Yeah. So the reason that this works is because productized services generally in my world are a few hours of work spread out across a couple of weeks. So it could be it could be like five hours of work that's spread out across two weeks. So it's not really that much work and you're getting a lot of benefit from it, a lot of acceleration. Uh, but sometimes it's more like 10 hours across four weeks and then it starts to be like, <laughs> eh. So maybe that's a little bit, you know, that might be too much of a commitment. Maybe Maybe you should... Uh, cut back on how expansive your productized service is, at least to start. And see that's if you that's do. why I like those website in a day um, productized services because everybody knows what they are. Like it's in the name. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, a day. And we know it's not really a day because the client's got to pull all this stuff together and get it to you. But the essence of the work gets done in a day. So I would imagine from beginning to end, it's not more than a couple of weeks. Oh yeah, and it's it's not. I mean, I've interviewed Knapsack on Ditching Hourly a couple times, and they 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 do. It's one day of work on their part, uh, and it's probably a few hours of work for the person who's you know their client. So if like when I did when they did my website, they started at nine in the morning. We had a, I think it was a Skype call back then. And we just had this open Skype call all day. And, you know, the the designer was building the site. And if he had any questions, he would just ask. Like, I was right there. Right. So they, they just have you block out the day. And, uh, and in advance of that, they just gave me a Dropbox. And they said, okay, put all your images in this folder. Put all your pages as a Word document. That, and that was my point. From the client standpoint, that's right. a couple of weeks of work, especially if they haven't written things and they have to pull stuff. But, but that's mm-hmm. not, you know, that's fine. But it's that, that focus of that day. And I love the idea of just having an open communication channel. I mean, you realize how much time we lose on those kinds of projects just in communication. Oh, the email latency and if, oh. time, if there's time zones, oh my God. It's insane. Right. So but the, the, the idea here, though, is for productized services, I've had people do this over and over again. I feel really confident that this works. It's like decide what the idea is. You map out the timeline, you create a sales page with no price on it, you find three beta customers, and I even have templates to, to reach out to them, uh, email templates, you just reach out to people to go through it, and then there it is. You know, So it's mm-hmm. maybe, if it's, a, if it's a reasonable sized productized service, you may be doing 15 hours of free work for these, these beta co- customers, 
Yeah, but but the the benefit you get from it is ginormous because you're going to probably start getting sales much quicker. You're going to be profitable much more quickly. It's it's super, super useful. Yeah. And let's also remember that this side benefit of doing this is confidence because you need to be able to, we all do, we need to be able in a position to be in a position when we're talking to a potential client of speaking with confidence. This is how it works. This is what you do. This is what I do. Here are the outcomes. Um, you know, just to be able to have that conversation, although you may not even have a conversation. Um, yeah, but, but you need to be confident that you can do that. And what this process does is it gives you that confidence that you're not going to lose your shirt, that you know how to speak to your ideal client. And that if a, if a bad one sneaks in there, you're going to be done really fast and they'll be out. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a thoughtful way to add this, um, this kind of middle option in your product service ladder. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll just add one thing. If, if there are any surprises or blind spots in your timeline when you imagined it, they will almost surely come up with those first three beta yeah. engagements. <laughs> so that will be like, it, and it just adds to your confidence. You know, it, it's like, ah, you know, some surprises happened. It gives you, also gives you some stuff to put in your FAQ. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's having- a really good exercise, especially for people who are newer to consulting too. This is a great way to start out because you've defined the edges. You can't go too far off the rails with this. You know, even if the client situation is way more complex than you ever imagined, you've got, you know, the rails are defined. You'll mm-hmm. be okay. And one thing we didn't mention is if you, you know, you spend the time on the timeline and the sales page, you know, it's a couple hours. And if you can't find anyone who wants to do it for free, you just, you know, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Like you either don't have access to the right audience or, or the audience that you do have access to doesn't get it or they just, it doesn't click with them for whatever reason. So it's either go back to the drawing board and come up with a different one or see if you can find out what's wrong with your sales page that people don't understand what it is or not interested and you know you've really you've wasted almost no time like the the time investment is it's a real i think it's a real high cost benefit ratio mm-hmm. yeah i mean the, the the theme of everything we're talking about is test things yeah just basically. test them and you don't need an audience of, of thousands um look you did it with a, a, an initial list of 500 i mean this yeah. can be done very low it, with very low numbers of people in your network and and it can click really fast. Yeah, I, I've I've been betas for for I've been a beta customer for a couple of people. I remember years ago, um, I think I had uh, someone who I later became friends with and got into a Slack room with. I think he reached out to me cold. I don't know my 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 gut instinct. If I had to like, if I had to guess at how the relationship started, he emailed me and said something like. I've been following your work. I noticed that something about your website, but it was, it was very, it wasn't spammy. It was very specific. Mm-hmm. Like he, I, I could tell he had actually read my website. Yeah. And he was like, he might've said something like, oh, my, our mutual friend, blah, introduced me to you. And I was looking at your website and I'm launching this new productized service. And it was something to do with like messaging or so I can't even remember at this point, but, um, and I went through it and it was great. Like I totally, it was so, totally transparent. Um, I gave him feedback and it didn't feel awkward or weird, you know, like, like, uh, buyer's remorse Mm -hmm. or anything like that. And he, he, I think he still sells it. And this was probably in 2013, you know, so 
That's a long life for a product in in the yeah. digital age. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah, it really works, and it's and it's fu- it's kind of fun and beneficial to the the beta customers. My point of bringing that up, it's it's uh, I don't know. It feels kind of exciting. You know, you're like, ooh, a new thing. Well, there's a connection that happens um, with betas because you've invited them to give you feedback. Like I I did one product, and there was a problem with the credit card processing. And the, one of my betas had done this like many times with his own stuff. And he said, okay, here's the problem. It's this and this and this. And tell your person to look at this and this and this. And I was, I was amazed. But this same guy, um, I gave him a free one of what it was I was launching. That was, you know, the price. But he chalked up that program for probably two years. Yeah. And he saw the ugly part of it. He saw when it wasn't working and the security wasn't right, you know, before I launched it, but he helped me fix it. Yeah, and that's great. Yeah, that's what people, it's this engagement and it's contrary to what we think. We think people are going to engage with us when we're perfect, but the guy who found all of those typos and the guy who found the mess in my credit card processing <laughs> the night before the launch, by the way, um, yeah, those people... They bond with you because they see us when we're not perfect and they yeah. like it. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's like when you go to a concert and and somebody uh you know Neil Diamond I know. I'm using this for a reason. It was the that first was one I could cut. think of. I know. But I was thinking of Sweet Caroline, like all these people sing the song for him. Like when he forgets the words, they remember that concert. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like people love it when we're not perfect. I don't know where Neil Diamond came from. <laughs> I swear. I, I haven't seen a Neil Diamond concert since I, since I was like 14. But yeah. Oh. <laughs> not sure. If, I'm not sure if that's. Pulled you out of the nerd nosedive. So it's okay. I, I like being a nerd. <laughs> uh, cool. Okay. So I think looking back on the conversation so far about productized services and courses, and obviously Mr. Neil Diamond. Um, the, <laughs> I'm never going to live that down. It's a little bit. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, the, it's a little bit easier to do this with productized services. You know, all things being equal, you know, the, the courses, it's more creation, it's more time put into it. Mm-hmm. it. It always feels like more stress, more, you know, more confusion, less flexibility. There's more lock in as you're making videos and then you're like, oh, I got to pivot and re-record those. So the productized services, if I was going to recommend to somebody where to start, it would it would be here because we're next we're going into custom projects and that's definitely not the easiest one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. that's tougher. And well, it's you know, it's a balance because you can do if you do really well at courses, they're leverageable and mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to put much more time in whereas productized services you still have to keep putting in the time. Mm-hmm. So, it's a it's a different level of time commitment, but but I agree, it's so much easier to start with a productized service. Yeah. And most of the people I work with, since they're devs or other people who build by the hour, like maybe logo designers or marketers or photographers or whatever, they generally go by the hour and they've been freelancing. So they kind of feel like like the custom project thing is is usually where they're starting. That's like what they already do. They already send out estimates or proposals and they already do all of this stuff. And that's not usually where the confidence is low. That's usually where the confidence is high. They're just Mm -hmm. disgruntled because they feel like they're getting underpaid or clients are not sending their last payment or clients are micromanaging them. And it's really, it's not about, uh, the problems don't really they're not in the selling piece so much as they're two, two big things. I'm not getting enough leads 
or, well, I guess there's some that I'm not getting enough leads. And then a, a small segment are like, I'm getting leads, but I'm not closing the deals. That doesn't happen very often, though, with the folks I work mm-hmm. at. It's like usually once they get them on the phone, they can close the deal. And then then all the other clients from Hell Stuff happens during the delivery when expectations aren't being met and there were assumptions that were incorrect or the budget starts to get exceeded because they're billing by the hour. So there's a lot of delivery scope creep type stuff there. Um, but if you don't offer productized services and you don't offer courses and you you want to, uh, you just want to do, you know, like building Rails apps or some kind of development work, like implementation building stuff, then how would you, what are some of the ways that you would kind of test the market, especially if you're going to pivot, uh, you know, you, you somebody's listening to the show and they drank the Kool-Aid and they're going to niche down on some target market that they don't particularly have um maybe the most experience with or the most access to, like, how would you, how would you test something like uh, access to that market? Yeah, well, this is, this is really interesting. It's to me, it's, it's a lot of one-to-one conversations. And the other, the other category of people that falls into this camp are people who are selling high-end B2B stuff. Yes. Right. So you're, you're trying to sell a strategy service to a Fortune 500 company, or you are going to do some kind of a team effectiveness thing, which team effectiveness can be productized. Um, but not always. So when you're in those kinds of scenarios, you've got a very sophisticated buyer. So, um, you know, one easy way is to go through your LinkedIn connections and see who you know who's in that target market. And, you know, you've got to find out what they're interested in. Get some, get some data. You know, if you've got the data, it's a whole different exercise. But if you don't, then you need to hit up your network to be able to talk to these people. And we've talked a lot on the show. You can go to watering holes and listen. But so, so the way I would do it is I would try to get inside their head without talking to them first. I would try to get smart about it. I'm already smart about my own area of expertise, presumably. So I'm going to find out. That's true. Yeah. Let's assume that's true. If not, then you've got more work to do before you're ready to do this next step. Then you find the watering holes. Where are they talking? Um, Listen to Twitter chatter. Look at LinkedIn. See if you can join some of the groups. Just listen. Do not speak. (laughs) Just listen. I mean, unless you're asking questions, that's different. But listen, 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 listen. And when you've got enough that you're pretty comfortable that you know what you want to do, you've got this idea, that's when you can start to test it with real people. Mm -hmm. And I would test with the lowest risk people first. Um, You know, I'm thinking of, I had a conversation the other day with somebody who had this list of very um, high profile people and and he wanted to start at the top. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's get some practice down with the ones who don't matter as much and see what you learn from that. So by the time you get to the top of the heap, you've got a lot of data. You're a lot more comfortable. The The conversation is going to go very differently. Yeah, if you re- you've refined the message. You've figured out how to communicate it to this kind of person. Much, Yeah, I agree, 100% agree. Start at the bottom. The easier it gets to the harder it gets. Yeah, and um, I think it's it, it gets um, intimidating for people, especially if you're going, let's say you want to talk to the CTO, mm-hmm. right? It's intimidating, or it can be, depending on where you are in the food chain, to talk to a bunch of CTOs. So don't start there. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Start with somebody else. Start with somebody you know. Get connected to the people. You're not selling on those calls. Let me be very clear. You are not selling. Yeah. You are listening and data gathering. And the second, especially on LinkedIn, when you ask for a, a call like that, the second someone feels like you're hyping them and you're setting them up to be sold to, uh, they will disconnect. Yeah, then they can sense it. Uh, a mile away. So you just yeah. have to be really pure on your intention. And you, you can ask at the end of the call. Now, when I put this together, can I come back to you? Um, it, you know, depending on how you're, you're positioning it at that point, you can absolutely do that, but no more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me at this level, I feel like, uh, again, assuming that you know what you're doing and you're good at it, then I feel like the, the testing that you would do for custom projects is really around your positioning. It's like, it's like, is this positioning resonating with the people who I need to talk to? And in my experience, mm-hmm. you know, and it's that list of things that you just said, it's like, where do they hang out? Where can you listen in on the conversation? Where can you kind of eavesdrop in public and learn what's driving them? You know, what are their hopes, dreams, worries, fears? Uh, what do they want? That sort of thing. Uh, what language are they using? What's their lingo? Uh, how do they describe their customers? Are they students, guests, clients? What word do they, patients, what word do they use? All, all things like that. You kind of soak it in. And and for me, once I felt like I had the positioning down, you know, like, I don't know, whatever. I'm a, I'm a, uh, I do, somebody in my Slack room did one. So in TPS had a hilarious one the other day. It was like, um, uh, God, I guess it doesn't matter. It was so funny, but I, it was, it was purposely bizarre. He was doing like um, systems, productivity systems or reliability systems for long haul freight trains. Yeah. And, you know, and he was just like a .NET developer or something. If you're listening, I'm sorry, I can't remember. But um, it, it was it was hilarious. And it was it was he was sort of like playing with different kinds of hyper niche positioning that he wasn't actually going to do just to play with it and get the feel for like how it resonate with people. Mm-hmm. And the train one was so real that I don't even know if he was kidding or not at this point. Like he's, he's, like, <laughs> he's like, wow, everyone took this really seriously. And I'm like, was that a joke? It sounds awesome. And anyway, so for me, it's all about the positioning of really your positioning, but the, 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 the idea of hiring you as a consultant or a developer or something. And the way I would test that would be, depend on the target market because not everybody's into all these different things but you could float a test as a webinar and say like all right i'm i i know what these people want and i know where the overlap is between their desires and my passions and my talents and i'm going to do a webinar on on the the most painful piece of this and if i can't get anybody to come to a webinar and if it's the kind of people who if they are the kind of people who do go to webinars but i can't get any of them to my webinar then that means mm-hmm. I've still got some work to do. Yep. Um, if they're not webinar type people, maybe it's a checklist. Maybe it's uh, some kind of a lead magnet. Maybe I, I talked to one guy that does, uh, he's got a team of people. He's a design, sort of a, a, a mini IDO type of uh, company in the healthcare space. And he has his team work on uh, sort of like a print, a beautiful like printed infographic poster based on original research that they do for like six months. And then they assemble this infographic poster and, uh, and he, I don't know if it's for sale or he gives it away, but you know, it's hang, he does them every six months and they're hanging in hospitals all over the country because they're so amazing. Mm. It's almost like writing a book, but it's a poster. 
mm-hmm. but comparable yeah. level of effort. And and you know, down at the bottom, you know, there's the name of the company. So that's like a uh, it's sort of a you can't do you can't do a test project. I would never have a beta project for software development, but maybe you can imagine, Rochelle, maybe you can imagine a kind of B2B project that is that has got like a contingency basis. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So first of all, I I wanted to go back to something that you said, because I think it's really important, is that this is all about positioning. And you, before you have those conversations, you you can certainly listen without being clear on your positioning. But when you have those conversations, you want to be 100% clear on your positioning. What are you doing for whom? The big message. And if you're doing it in LinkedIn, your LinkedIn profile needs to look like that. It needs to match, align, 100%. Um, Now, in terms of uh, the kinds of um, projects, I mean, I've seen, I've seen a few different ones and usually they're, um, they're pivots. So somebody knows you for X and you want to pivot to Y. So let's say you are doing a certain kind of team consulting in technology firms Mm -hmm. and you pivot that ever so, so I don't even even want to call it a pivot. It's like a little mini pivot um, where you're going to focus on a certain kind of team. Let's say that happens. So then what you do is that if you haven't got a proven process and you want to go through this process, then you offer some kind of a performance fee. Mm-hmm. So you can say, all right, this is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to work. This is what I believe the outcome to be. If we don't get you to the outcome, your price is zero. If we do, or when we do, your price is X. And in this case, I'd want to be very clear about the outcome, which is also powerful because when you have some more nebulous kinds of corporate services, you really want to link it to an outcome. Mm-hmm. It forces you into that process. And then you can link your fee to the outcome. And what I like about that for these high-end B2B people is it gives people a way to engage with you. The person who says yes isn't doing it because it's going to save them money. Right. They're doing it because they believe in this and there's a part of them that likes the idea of trying something that hasn't been done before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a certain kind of, you know, this is a total Jeffrey Moore thing. There's a certain kind of person who's an early adopter and they see themselves that way and they they, uh, consider it to be a differentiator, like a strategic advantage Mm -hmm. that they're on the bleeding edge of things and that it's stuff that not all their competitors can just grab off the shelf or whatever. So if you can find those kinds of people, like the more innovative leaders, then they're going to be open to stuff like this. Um, they're tough to find because it's the smallest cohort, but uh, if you can find them or if you're in some sort of group with them or you're aware of someone who is or you've got one in your past, you you know you had like a CTO that was super cutting edge or a CEO that was super cutting edge, you could reach back out to them and be like, where, you know, like, like, I feel like most of the CEOs I talk to are kind of like, you know, risk averse and, and not as not as much of a visionary as you, you know, is there where visionary CEOs like you with where do they hang out? Like, is there yeah. a conference or um, a magazine that they read or like, you know, something like get some kind of clues. Again, we're looking for the secret door in the castle wall. And for me, the, the testing that you would do around any kind of custom projects that you value price, perhaps, or like write a proposal for, it all boils down to positioning. Are you positioned in the market as the go-to person for whatever it is, 
whatever the area of focus is. Well, yeah, I'm thinking back to um, when I used to uh, consult primarily with heads of HR, I was so frustrated. And I realized the reason I was frustrated is that I, I divided HR people, the VPs of HR into two camps. They were the ones who were sort of like, sort of like the they were worried about legal stuff. Like that was their primary thing. Are we in compliance? What are we doing? And when they would talk to the CEO, they were treated as almost as, as a chief administrative officer versus my favorite clients, which were the ones who were so in tune with the business strategy, they could probably have the same conversation um, as the CEO would about the business. And they were truly not, you know, dr- name dropping. They were truly a strategic partner for the business. And I did exactly what you described is I would say, okay, so who else is like you? Like, I love you. <laughs> I want to work with more people like you, which is why I stopped working just in one city because, you know, no one city has the claim on um, people who are doing the most interesting strategy work. Right. And it's so, when you start doing that, as long as you're wired that way and you're not just doing it in a, in a, a selfish way, but in a way that you want to help them get what they want. The, the conversations I would have with people in that circle were a hundred percent different than the yeah. other conversations. And so what, what happened is the people in the first circle, the more administrative types, they really didn't want to talk to me. Like it mm-hmm. got to the point where like I was the anti. <laughs> Which is part of building a powerful brand. There's probably a group of people that, you know, you're just not for them. And it's clearly, no, I don't want to work with somebody that thinks like that. Whereas you find your people, um, whether it's, you know, HR people or CTOs or uh, CEOs of, you know, mid-sized technology companies, whatever those are, it's finding your people and not worrying about what everybody else thinks. Mm. Yeah, not to go down a positioning rabbit hole, but it's one of my favorite topics. <laughs> um, but on that point, if you can't write down a list of, of you know, don't hire me if, you know, you, you're not going to be a good fit for me or I'm not going to be a good fit for you if, you know, right. bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, you're like obsessed with compliance and liability and you're afraid to take risks and, you know, this list of things, which would maybe be a great fit for someone else. But if you if you can't make a list like that, then you haven't really... You haven't niched down, and that's usually pretty important. But anyway, the idea—the idea of testing. Um, what I have people do when they're when they're floundering around here is um, using the techniques that we've already described. The overarching concept is to optimize for conversations. So you're having more conversations with more kinds of people uh, that are, so that you can find the ones you find that like those hidden little network of ones that are perfect for you. Because it's it can be pretty hard to tell from the outside whether or not somebody is like a visionary HR director. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe there's a way, but it's probably going to happen through networking. And so there's that. And then once you, uh, there's some other couple of other tactics that you can do to kind of test your positioning. Um, one is if you have a podcast, you can play with the positioning of the podcast um, and invite people who you think might be in your target market to see if they want to come on the show and talk about how, you know, their challenges or their successes around this area that's of interest to you. So the overlap of what you do, maybe you do IOT and they run, you know, and they're the CIO of like a, of uh, an Amazon uh, distribution center. And 
be like, hey, you know, I've got this podcast, you know, I'm, a, I'm an IoT consultant. I've got this podcast about IoT in, in distribution or the supply chain. And I'd love to have you come on as a guest. I saw it in your LinkedIn and blah, blah, blah. Uh, would you like to come on and, and be a guest? And we could just sort of talk about how you guys see things. Mm-hmm. And you can have, you know, and if, if that's not working and people are like, nope, not interested or I don't get it or, uh, or whatever, then it's just another way to test the positioning without kind of like updating your whole website or, or whatever. Yeah. You can have this podcast that kind of explores the territory for you. And you can even say, hey, I'm, I'm going to launch a podcast. I want to pre-record like 10 episodes before I launch. Uh, so there's nothing to look at yet, but here's the idea. And would you like to come on the show? And you'll get people who will say yes. Right. I say yes to those all the time. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, any other any other ways to test the other the other yeah, I mean honestly you're just getting into basic positioning stuff now that now that we think about it. It's yeah. Like the the custom project stuff, it's like the whole issue there is like attracting leads and then, you know, yeah, I don't know. It just feels like kind of like a whole separate category from productized services in, in well, courses. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, one of the questions I get asked often is, how do I get the first one, right? Mm -hmm. If I don't have this list of other clients, and a lot of times you don't need a list of other clients to be able to do the project if you've got the credentials, and by credentials, I don't necessarily mean, you know, you know, five degrees, but you've done some things that are on point and you can demonstrate it. You know what to do. You, you can absolutely do that. The challenge is most of us and myself included didn't have confidence to sell those things until I'd already done one. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's the reason to do some betas so that you, for the same reason you would do them in productized services so that you are very clear about what you're going to do what the commitment is that you need from the client, especially in something that is about a change effort, and three, what the outcomes are. So you can really speak to those. And we can write marketing definitions all day long in marketing pages, but until you actually have been through one, you don't really know Mm -hmm. how to describe that. So the key is to get the first one. I don't believe in lying. You don't put a bunch of, you know, logos up on your site that you haven't worked with. And one way around that is to do, is to do a performance, some kind of a performance fee. Hmm. Yep. Could be not for software, but yeah, I, I, I get it. That's the Mm -hmm. distinction. And I I also wanted to be clear that what I'm talking about is when we're talking about a high-end B2B buyer, because free is not a good price for them. Free, yeah, free means maybe it's not valuable. Free means they're probably going to mess it up. And it's just what, it's the same reason people hire McKinsey, right? Nobody's going to fault the decision to hire McKinsey if it goes sideways. They will absolutely fault the decision to hire some, you know, quote unquote, no name person um, from, you know, a soloist that they've never heard of before. So you have to get past that. Um, yeah. But it's absolutely doable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe you point to things. I've had plenty of students who have to point to other trust creating evidence uh, that it's probably a better way to say that, but they have to point to other, I guess, kind of like you said with credentials. It's like um, maybe they worked at McKinsey and now, you know, it, yes, it doesn't, you don't get to bring the brand with you, but it's proof that you're at least, it's some kind of proof that indicates that you're at least good at the, the yeah. craft of whatever it is. Uh, you're not going to get, you're not going to be able to charge a premium for it, but, you know, at this point, you're just trying to get started and create your own stable of, of, um, 
impressive looking client logos. And yeah, and don't underestimate the power of that. I, I may have said this on the show before. When I did my first project after leaving the big consulting firm, I made a decision that I was just going to leave that consulting firm behind me. Uh, you weren't going to hear me name drop. And the very first best client really of that, of that firm for six years, um, turned to her CEO and said, and we're hiring them because they came from XYZ consulting firm. And I noted that and I remembered that. And I, I, to this day, I value my experience at that firm and I would never hide it. I realized it was a credential. So what happens is when you have credentials like that, you have to put yourself in the, in the eyes of the client instead of the eyes instead of your own eyes because mm. most of us with the exception of narcissists we undervalue our skills and our talents mm. and our ability to actually deliver value in a particular set of circumstances right. so just you know look at it from your client's perspective if you came from a, a big consulting firm they're like wow if you came uh, if you had a, a, a prestigious degree from someplace even if it was you know 10 years ago oh the all of those things or i'm thinking of um a couple of clients i've worked with that had this amazing string of companies that they worked for like absolutely recognizable, interesting companies, or where they weren't, the person they worked for was actually a legend mm -hmm. in the field. Mm -hmm. You know, put those things out there. Those are the kinds of things that are real. You're being candid. People respond to them. Mm -hmm. There's a reaction to that that works in your favor. Yep. Yeah, really, the, the whole thing around custom projects, it's all about, it's all about getting your positioning and your messaging right and deciding what words to use at every phase of the the client life cycle. So like, how do you attract the lead? What words do you use to click with the right people to attract them and get them, make them aware and perhaps interested in what you uh, could offer? And then sales interview, the why conversation into the proposal and all the words in the proposal. And then it's like, close the deal. And then all the words that you're going to use over the course of a long project delivery. It's just, it's just, millions and millions of words <laughs> and it's like how do you pick which words to use so that they yeah. recognize that you can deliver some kind of result that they desire it's like how what words do you use to connect the dots in their mind between your skills and their desires yes yeah that's really and, it. and we and we have to do it as simply as we possibly can yes clear not clever please <laughs> <laughs> specific not vague we solve smart we, we solve hard problems for smart people oh god we got smart people that, yeah it's like it's like somebody threw the word smart and hard in a salad bowl and just mixed it up and like served word salad on there mm -hmm. it's, uh, anyway so yeah easy to go down a, a rabbit hole on positioning and niching down but really that's what you're testing when it comes to the projects project work i'm laughing we've proven time and time again there's a rabbit hole to be gone down yes, exactly cool so that's probably okay. enough jabbering out of us uh hopefully this has been helpful yeah i like i like this thinking about this in kind of three chunks um because this is for people who are just getting started it's for people who are positioning and for people who just want to get a new service launched and take their business in a different direction mm -hmm. great all right. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us next time for The Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.